Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, uh, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10, for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to Fine Dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give fine dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. This is a HeadGum Podcast. You know, having the right temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality. If you wake up too hot, wake up too cold, oof. That sucks. I highly recommend you check out Miracle Brand's bed sheets. Inspired by silver-infused fabrics made by NASA, Miracle Brand makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Self-cooling properties for better quality sleep. You know my big sweaty ass loves thermoregulation and uh, silver-infused fabrics uh, designed to keep me at the perfect temperature all night long. Self-cleaning. You know my dirty dirty body loves that uh the natural silver prevents 99.9 percent of bacterial growth stay cleaner and fresher three times longer you hear that you messy dudes out there you don't have to change your sheets as much (laughs) and they're comfortable and they're a great holiday gift for your spouse friends or family who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious feeling bed sheets and since these come with three feet towels you get two gifts in one just in time for the holidays and it's better for your skin uh, I haven't noticed a major difference, but clean sheets means less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin products. Go to trymiracle.com slash mighty, uh, T-R-Y-M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash mighty to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40% and be sure to use our promo code mighty at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 30-day uh, money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to TryMiracle.com slash Mighty and use the code Mighty to claim your three p- free three-piece towel set. That Say that three times real fast. Free three-piece towel set. Free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash Mighty to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. Thank you, Miracle Brand, for sponsoring this episode. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, the number one fuckboy, Johnny G, from the south shore of Nassau County, Long Island, standing six foot two, 302 pounds. That's correct. I am back above 300. Jesus Christ, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Ah, 
Also joining me in the High Mighty Studios, my newly silent co-host, Arthur. Give him a shout-out. Also, here is Jackson Mean. All you got to do is trust me. Jackson Mean, abortion is health care. Thank you, Jackson Mean. Please don't kill yourself and give your dog a steak. Give my dog a steak and stay alive. Also joining me in the High Mighty Studios, from returning guest, he's a writer. He's now a podcaster, too, from Story of the Week with Joel Stein. It's the titular Joel Stein. Hello, Joel. You know, last time, Last time I was on, you were the number one fuckboy, and you're still the number one fuckboy? There's no change? Do the rankings just stay exactly the same, or have other people moved up and down? Did you lose the number one spot at any point? What's going on? I'm waiting for the fuckboy magazine to drop, because I get a quarterly mm-hmm. publication, and they'll let oh, me know where quarterly. I slid, but I've been number one for a hot minute. I slid into number two. You did? Okay. Yeah, for a little bit, and then I'm I'm back I'm back up at top. Yeah. Dahmer, That's a long range. Dahmer got ahead of me. <laughs> oh, no. Really? He bumped me. Yeah. Hey, you know, Netflix series just bumped him up SEO-wise, got to put him in the front of everybody's mind, and then... Oh, now- I'm sorry. You're like the Noma of fuckboys, though. You just stay <laughs> right up there for years. You gotta. <laughs> you gotta. Hmm. Um, Joel, the last time you were on... Yep. We talked about this deep VH1 connection that we, you know, yep. deep MTV networks, 15, 15, 16, 33 connection we have. And Those are the addresses that we were at on um, 6th Avenue? No, Broadway, uh, Broadway. Broadway, yes. Broadway, yeah, yeah. 15, 15 Broadway, 31st floor, 6th, uh, 1633 Broadway. I worked on 6th floor and 31st floor. And then 1515 is where I'd go to the lodge or pick up some Rufus tapes or whatever the fuck I had to do. I had a secret office. Um because I was making a show called Hey Joel, animated sitcom that was so bad it was only shown in Canada and South uh, South Africa. But I was I had a full time job at Time Magazine, but I had, I was doing the show too. So I would secretly this is back I don't know why the companies were so fat back then, but I would sneak out of my office a fiftieth and sixth, run down to the Broadway office, do that job, and then hope no one caught me and go back to my other office. I had a secret second office. It was like a mistress office. Oh man, you had yeah, you had to come back like, oh, I, I was uh, grabbing lunch and like pull a yeah. burger off the t- someone's uh, <laughs> table when your boss caught you and shit. Oh man, that's really fun. And and honestly, it's also a uh, like a light indictment of the media industry that like you have to hold on to two different jobs at once to like stay I think it's alive a light in the business. Of the media industry that no one noticed that I had other jobs. <laughs> right, right. That was, part, we were doing that's so little work. Part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but so you were telling stories of one kind at time, oh, and then you racing were a master over... of segues. Look at that! That's you don't crazy. stay on the top for no reason, brother. Part of storytelling <laughs> is knowing how to uh, deliver a segue, and you just how to did, get yeah. the story started. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny. Like we were just we were worried that picking the topic stories was too general, but mm-hmm. I, it's on my mind in the forefront. It's in the forefront of my mind recently. A, Recently, a lot. Jesus Words Christ. are not in the forefront of your mind. <laughs> Words are in the forefront of my mind recently a lot. Does that make any sense? None. Okay. Back to... But like recently, my wife and I were with some other friends, and we clearly had all been in the pandemic for a long time just uh, uh, with another couple. And they were... And we were like, oh, we got to tell you about why we moved. And like they told this like super long story about why they moved. Very interesting. A lot of details. But... The couple kept being like, no, you forgot. Don't forget. First was the letter that came. And it's like, oh. And then yeah. my wife and I sometimes get caught up in these in these duo storytelling situations. 
and where she, she knows I'm the more natural storyteller, I, I aim for an ending. Like, that's something I learned from doing comedy. Nice. Is to have an ending in mind when you start telling people something. Uh, and then my wife will, like, look at me like, well, babe, why don't you just tell them? Or then I'll start uh. telling, and then she'll, like, go, actually, wasn't it Wednesday? And I'll be like, well, then you tell the fuck it's... And, like, we're instantly in some sort of weird drama, and it, it's, like, this codependency thing, but it was so on display with the four of us kind of, like, nitpicking our partner's stories and then as the audience going like i actually don't give a fuck just keep spew the info out i want more i've off i've also noticed particularly because uh, you pay when you have children you pay more attention to them uh because you love them i think <laughs> i'm not sure why but you notice more about like humanity and what i've noticed is when someone's telling a story and you interrupt them and say something funny and show that you're listening and do all the things you're supposed to do you inflict a little bit of pain you can you can see someone, uh, they're they're almost physically hurt when you interrupt a story. Um, yeah, it, my wife has pretty bad. I mean, I think we all, I, not we all, but a lot of people, including myself, have ADHD in some capacity. My wife has it a little worse than me, and she gets so excited that she like interrupts in the middle. And mm-hmm. I was like, I I needed to tell you. 18 words and then I was going to go back into my office and now now yeah. we're like you've had like two follow-ups and it's not a problem she's being like an active listener and she's yes. my partner we're supposed to have conversations so it's not like a problem but it's like oh now it's like difficult to say this and it's like why why do I care like why am I hurt in that moment you know it it's weird it's like your will your your actual your will has been stymied and it's it's like if you're walking somewhere and someone yells at you to stop, it's that frustration if yeah. someone stops you from telling a story. And it's not it doesn't take place in other forms of conversation. Like you can have a, a all kinds of fun banter where, where I mean that's what your podcast is, where you interrupt right, yeah. each other and and add to each other, and that's delightful. But when someone's actually telling a story, uh, I try to just not interrupt other than to nod or say, mm. Yeah, I've had to get like really good at because I'm an interrupter and, and and like I've had to get really good at being like but you were saying about your son telling stories like I like because I will accidentally steamroll as you know we've had conversations before and if you've listened to my show I will steamroll a conversation and then but I'm so cognizant of like oh we have to get back on track that I'm like I know I just been ranting for three minutes about uh fucking whole milk or whatever but you were saying your son gets upset when he's interrupt when his stories are interrupted. I've had to get so good at that because I see it in the person's face that I'm like, oh fuck, you were not done with this point yet, and now I'm off on a fucking tangent because I'm trying to make comedy or you know make connections for myself or my listeners, and then I find myself being like, I fucked up their story. Like I would be furious if they fucked up my story. Yeah, one of the great things my wife does, and. Uh... And it, people find it so compelling is that people will be telling a story. They will either distract themselves or someone will interrupt them. And she's the one who like keeps track of it in her head and asks the question like, oh, but you were trying to tell me, the, you know, why this cornbread didn't come out or whatever it is. And and it's just so endearing. It's you see on their face when you say that, that you can see the metaphor of them catching a life preserver. Yeah. It's like, a you see, like Yeah. yeah. You see like. That right. Oh, thank God. Yes. And now I, yeah. and like often on that reminder that you're like that your wife does great skill set. It often you you relieve them so much that they're like, 
cornbread, blah, blah, blah. And they have like the 40 second version of the story ripped out at the, like they just yes. crank it out at that moment. They're like, you're right. I was in the middle of telling why the cornbread didn't work out. Here's why yep. butter. Who would have thought? Ah, oh, tight little story <laughs> at the end. You know, everyone high fives your wife, like not ever carry her out like on a chair or whatever. It really, it really does seem like you can skip the butter, doesn't it? I'm tempted every time. I'm like, <laughs> do I need this much butter in this? I mean, you do, sadly. You need butter in everything if you, if yeah. you really want it to like taste good and rich. Yeah, and, yeah. sucks. It's brutal. Um, I've been a storytelling type of person like my whole life. Like it, it was always like Gabrus, tell you should tell them what happened to us on Friday night. Like it was always me because I, you know, am gregarious and like to perform but so my whole life i've been telling stories but i'm just as compelled to listen to stories like i love hearing other people's stories if they are capable (laughs) of telling a story yeah yeah so i spent most of my career as a magazine writer and i kind of thought i could tell a story and then i got hired to like write some pilots some sitcom pilots and, and work in a room in a tv show and god damn it i didn't know a thing about telling stories like those people are tight and you it know it's a different story right even so stand-ups yeah, yeah even steps you can get by with just being really clever and making observations and just like asides and you can kind of keep that wheel spinning but when you're like and the longer something is like when i tried to write books or a movie, the longer something is, the more those storytelling rules get strict. And if you're not following them, people just get bored and turn off. Yeah. And, and it's a different type of storytelling, too. Like, um, yeah. imagine trying to keep someone's attention for an hour and 10 minutes of talking. You need rules. You need, you need <laughs> to always have them wondering what's going to happen. You need to refer to things that happened earlier. There's, there's yeah. so many. You need to introduce rules. new stakes every once in a yes. while. You need to heighten stuff. Like, all shit that doesn't happen when you go, oh, Gabrus, how was your vacation at the Madonna no. Inn? I, yeah. I, you know, I never, like, you're like, and you have 90 minutes to tell me. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You don't realize how much you have to like build into telling a story and as soon as you stop following the rules you lose people like if, and and I, I learned so much from i took so much of what i learned from being in that writer's room back to magazine writing and book writing oh and, cool and, and it really improved I, everyone thought it was gonna work the other way like i'd get into the tv writer's room and i'd use all my like magazine tricks or like journalism tricks and it definitely was more the other way like those i was like these people have a skill now what just curious, what were you pulling from writer's room stuff, from TV writing to- It was embarrassing because people would, <laughs> they were so obvious sometimes that people would just look at me like I was messing with them when I was like, oh, like you'd be writing a story and you'd want someone to come in and do something. And then you just, you'd write it there, but then you just place the person early on innocuously or the thing innocuously. You just, if there's going to be a gun that goes off, you just better put, go back to yeah. the beginning and put the gun in and reverse yeah. engineer it. And I was like, oh, so I started writing magazine articles like that. I'm like, if there's going to be a moment in the second half where something happens, just introduce that thing a little earlier. So yeah. like, it's really rewarding when it happens. And it doesn't feel like so of out of things. left field. Yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. that's interesting. I, I don't have any real prose writing experience. I, I've written a bunch of uh, unaired TV and uh, some TV and movies and stuff. But like, it seems so crazy for me to try to write a short story or an article like but with it, it's it's there I, i'm like lying to myself or i'm over like i'm making myself feel intimidated for no reason other than like there's something about me i guess what i guess i'm of the age where it's like 
oh, TV, haha, magazine, like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. journalism, whoa, that's where the smart people go and where the goofy people go oh. to TV. Like, I, I'm like that era where, like, magazine... Uh, you know, we're similar age, like books and, yeah. and books and literature hold like this esteem. And then you're like TV and mo- but like in reality, they're both completely Im- difficult skill sets. And like, oh, yeah, I once had a I once had a soap opera actor say to me, oh, I wish you were writing on my show. Like you'd make my show better. I was like, absolutely not. Like those people <laughs> know what they're doing. Like if you like if you brought me into Hallmark and told me to write greeting cards, I would. I'd suck at it for a long time until I, everything right, has it's a, a completely form. different medium. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm great at painting. It's like, cool, here's a lump of clay. What can you do? And it's like, well, nothing yet. I'm artistic, but I gotta learn how to make clay. Totally. Yeah. And you learn from everyone else. Like I learned there's been a couple of times when people idiotically ask me to audition for parts. Like I auditioned for, for a part in breaking bad. Insane. <laughs> Cause I can't act. Right. But then I, but then I would like get excited or just do it and that's why i'd meet with an actor friend like the night before and the few times i did that i was like it changed the way i wrote just the way actors think about things i was like because when you write sometimes you're just trying to make the story work and you stop you stop thinking that a person is going to say this or you know or more importantly like that a person needs, needs a reason to say this like, right, what like was why, per- why would Bruno say this? <laughs> like, why would like, Walter White say this at the pizzeria? You know, like, yeah, because I want the story to happen. Like, right. that's not it's not a reason, though. It's like, why? What does this person want? What are they saying? And, and a lot of times, if it's not written well, the actor has to do all that work and make up what they were doing right before this. But now as a writer, I like keep all that unsuccessfully by trying to keep all that in my head. Right. Interesting. Oh, I I dig that. That's cool. Like uh, kind of in the same vein, but not really. Is when an actor in a movie set or a show says, I can't tell you why, just trust me, or I can't tell you right now, just trust me, is like my least favorite thing to happen. Cause never in life did a friend say, I need I need your help. It's like, I'm in. <laughs> I don't have time to tell you. I'd be like, Well, okay, nope. You have to tell me. <laughs> like, like so I like Are you I- bleeding out? Because otherwise you definitely have time to tell me. <laughs> well, yeah, and like it was a horror movie. It was the movie Smile. And the main character two separate times said, you have to just trust me. I'll tell you when we get there or I'll tell you later. And it's like, that's just not how life works. And it feels unnatural, but it feels very much in service to the story because you can imagine the note where it's like, well, how does he not know that she's got the smile or whatever? It's like, because she said, I'll tell you later. And it's like, that's not a good answer. Yeah. That's just like, like you're saying, you're doing that for the sake of the story, but not for thinking that like an actor would, a character, a person would have someone go, what's wrong? And I go, I can't tell you, just come with me now to the haunted church or whatever. It's like, I have a question for you uh, about acting because I was watching White Lotus the second oh. episode of this new season and I saw an actor do something and I think I overreacted to it because my wife wasn't interested but I saw an actor do something I'd never seen before which was there's four people sitting around a table and uh, someone says something and then uh, this guy's wife answers her but what I saw this actor do was start to say something physically as one would but then stop because she talked do you know what I mean? Like, in, yeah. I, it, whenever there's a group of people People nicely take turns. And I'd never seen someone like attempt to speak and then stop. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It just felt very real. That is cool. That is weirdly real and yeah. very true. Of like, oh, sorry, you go. Like, oh, okay. yeah. 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 And I don't think he made a noise. He just it just start opened his mouth and put his finger up and then backed off. And it seems so specific 
that are are you talking about the rich guy and his uh, w- wife? Are you talking about? Uh, well, that's every character on White Lotus. So, uh, sorry, uh, sorry. The, yeah. <laughs> the uh, guy who changed his bathing suit in front of Aubrey Plaza. Yes, yeah. Yes, okay. That's so I think that's. I, and again, like most of White Lotus, I don't know any characters' names. I'm just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> They're all these generic white people names that all sound the same to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have. I'm just sitting here like uh, the the only one I know is, and I call her Jennifer Coolidge. Like I don't Me even too. call. Her, yeah, I don't even call her by her character's name. I think it's Tanya or something like that. It's like an obvious I have no idea. One. But uh, yeah, and that has to be character choice, right? That has to be because like why leave? I don't like, know. I'm why leave you. it in? Yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm curious about. Is like, are you just so in the moment that you're like, you know, you're not going to say something, but like you're like you have the instinct? I don't know. Yeah, maybe like. It's good acting. It's good. Like it was, it was as someone, convincing. as someone who's also a bad actor who just happens to work more as well, an actor than you yeah, are. Hold on. Uh, but I feel the same way, and that always feels crazy. It's like when someone else is talking and you're sh- and like you're they're shooting you. You're like that's when you feel the craziest in your life. When you're like, oh. wait, what do I do when someone is talking to me? That's interesting to me because I've shot, so I I've pitched failed pilots, but we shot a couple of them, and and they were traditional four camera in multi-cam sitcoms right mm. and and the the thing that separated the really good actors from the good actors were the reactions and and you needed them and you went to them and they saved your ass and sometimes they were they were its own little beat yeah like, like, a, like, a, got, like a, a second hit on the joke or a, a blow of it, its own emotional sometimes blow. joke beat sometimes it was almost like a story beat it was like oh this person's upset or this yeah. person you know oh that you person did not reactions like, re, re, uh, not everybody loves raymond based on yeah reaction yeah yeah and i just realized how much of acting was like listening and being in the moment and like not just when you talk right and that's that's when i feel crazy because like especially when you're auditioning and you're mm. on camera and the person reading oh. is like talk is they're talking and you're like, what do I do to seem and because and auditioning is like it's one of the few things where it's like auditioning is unlike acting, at least like to get a job in a writer's room. You have to show them writing like like auditioning yeah. and acting are two totally different like device like you never so it never feels the same as actually shooting something. But like interacting with the person the casting agent who's like all right well tim you have to blah blah blah." and like while they're talking you're like what am i supposed to do here because you don't you want to do something because you're like half the time i'm at this audition someone else is talking and i'm on camera and that's what people are going to watch but you also in that moment realize when when i'm talking to my friend joel i'm not going "Ah." Yeah, you can't overdo it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. It, uh, it's very easy to overdo in those moments. I, I couldn't believe I, I was so naive when I wrote my first pilot for ABC. I flew out here from New York, and I was sitting in these my first group of auditions. Right, and these were famous people coming in. Like I was like freaked out. I was just seeing. You're not used to seeing like ten celebrities in a day, right? So I'm no, sitting in this, right, right. on this couch and they're performing for you to judge. It was so crazy. Like they were all richer and more powerful than me. So it made me uncomfortable. And but I remember sitting there and the first person comes in, delivers the lines, and then leaves. And I turned to everyone on the couch. I'm like, how did how did she know all the lines? And they were like, it was she memorized them last night. And I was like, but but she's probably not going to get the part. Why would she do that? Like that's so much work now now we're 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 opening uh, up uh something that's going to get 
that really dovetails nicely with my uh, socialist worldview and my uh, my anti like hating the, the industry. Where it dovetailing the amount of labor I do for free. It was it seemed insane to me, and, and also not only were they doing all this work that I didn't think was necessary for us to judge. Like I feel like they could have kind of read it and I could have judged them because honestly, what really wound up being weird to me was that we part of the reason we hired people wasn't their skill level like there were we didn't hire the most talented actor for each part no we had we we, t- we no, hired the never person do. who we hired the person who fit the part by which i mean the way they looked the way they are who they are like we're basically judging someone on who you are outside outside of the the script outside of the story no, it's your like, actual oh, human, if, if you, humanity. Yeah, exactly. If you have Matthew Perry there, we know him as who, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to, so you're like, oh, it's one of those things where like you're casting your pilot and you're writing it and you're like, oh, this would 100% be Aaron Taylor Johnson or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then you, it's like, why? It's like, he might not be good at, but like, you like you believe that to be the character. So when they, when someone comes in, they're bringing in all the baggage of all their previous roles, all what you know about them, what you've put on them, what they look like, and it has nothing to do with saying the words you wrote necessarily. I believe you made up the name Aaron Taylor Johnson. It sounds like I a might ni- have. Sounds I like might a '90s Tiger Beat. He was on. He was a kid on Home Improvement, is my guess. I think he. I think he's like the big beefy British guy from like Bullet Train, and um, I think he played uh, Quicksilver in the X Men movies. Yes, I literally think you also made up all those things. Yeah, uh, very true. He he's <laughs> kick ass, if you will. Now that sounds even more made up than anything I've said. <laughs> but the but the reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I just find people who are really really good at storytelling um to be sort of amazing and people are still writing these incredibly long stories in the new yorker and the atlantic and wired and i feel like no one maybe no one was ever reading them but no one's reading them now and they're they're amazing and so well, I, I wanted we're in, yeah we're in and like because all right so you're talking about story of the week your your new podcast which i think is i was saying to you before we got on like what a simple but powerful yeah. premise you have so easy the, yeah. The writers of long form articles come on and you guys talk about they you talk to them about the article like they they tell, they tell the story, you the story. Right? Yeah, because yeah. I know people are too lazy to read. So right. um, basically, I used to go to parties in New York in the 90s and some obnoxious person would come up to me and say, did you read the story in the New Yorker? Yeah. And then I would say yes, even though I hadn't. And that that person would then tell them, even though I said yes, they would tell me the whole story. Uh and so we're doing that, except we've replaced the obnoxious person with the person who actually wrote the article. Right. And they, and they so, tell so they the can story. ask some follow. You can ask some follow ups or uh, any clarifying. Yeah. Questions. So it's a like, conversation instead of just listening to the the uh, like an audiobook. So yeah, it's a conversation where you can ask some questions and it's a little more fun. It's a little funnier. But yeah, it's basically if I can find a story that someone else wrote because um, I'm lazy. But if I can find that story that you will then need to tell to two other people. Like it's that kind of story where you hear it and you're like, this is insane. And you need to tell someone. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to text you some requests after this. Oh my God. It's, it's surprisingly challenging to find the perfect story. And then we've learned that you want a person who's also good on podcasts. And and that, and again, this is calling into some stuff I have with Hollywood. Someone Mm -hmm. who is a good writer 
yeah. is not necessarily a good no. orator. Someone who's a good, uh, like, so- someone who can uh, write comedy might not be able to pitch comedy yes. in the room. Like, yes. someone who's a good actor might not be good at auditioning. Someone who's a good actor might have a hard time figuring out how to dress to make themselves look good in any way. It's like, so many worlds, though. It's not just Hollywood. Like, it's, it's right. politics, right? Like, the person best at governing isn't the best at running. Like it's all kinds of worlds that you're always right. campaigning to... is different than actually yeah. campaigning. Uh, debating is not anything like real life politics. You know what I mean? Like all the it's... stuff they have to do to get the job is nothing like the actual job. Cause the, cause all the things you need to get to the job are sales. Like, right. And that's, so much that's, where audi- that's, that's what I'm thinking yeah. about with like auditioning and pitching Ugh. and stuff like that, where it's like, like, I'm not good at that part of the industry. No. I mean, I don't know what part I am good at, but I'm definitely not good at selling myself. And that is a limiting factor in a way. But there's and this if- part when you're in any industry, like I remember being, uh, this is my college newspaper, but then certainly at time magazine, I was like, Oh, I make this salary and I make the product. But the person who's the salesperson's making two X my salary and they're not even making a product, but they're the ones <laughs> who are actually making money. Yeah. And, what you're describing there is maybe the entire undoing of art. <laughs> like, or, it's not like, just art because it's all producing, you know, widgets or apps or whatever. It's just right. It's this. It's capitalism. the person who makes the widget doesn't make as much money as the person who helps the widgets. Like, I have friends who work in pharmaceutical copywriting, and they make an inordinate amount of money. Yeah, and to me, that's like broken, like. It's crazy how much money pharmaceutical companies can make. Yep. It's such a heavy industry, such a huge industry. Medicine for humans is such a huge commercial industry that making commercials for pharmaceuticals, something people just need and doctors give you, making commercials for them and advertising for them and slogans for them is an insanely good payday. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people making minimum six figures working in pharmaceutical copywriting alone and the pharmaceutical marketing and then accounts payable and like all that stuff that goes into and that's not even making medicine that's making ads for the like there's so much money and time and effort being put into that like it feels like you're saying like you have like 10 of the best writers in the world writing articles at time magazine and the more important person from the top down is a person who can sell ad space <laughs> for sure like, and yeah. it's like that's brutal and it's because shareholders capitalism money i don't need to get on this everyone knows everyone knows but it's that shit that infuriates me in a way where it's like shows are being like wiped out because it's like we're not making money for the shareholders and it's like we don't fully make tv to make money we don't fully write articles to make money. We well, don't fully act to make money, but it's become that in every facet because it's I've been talking about this. I'm sorry, Joel, I'm off. I'm on one right now, but I've been talking about this a lot lately where it feels like financial success has become the new uh, barometer in which to judge ourselves in uh, entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's broken. Like I didn't get into comedy because I was like hoping to, make money well that's the thing okay yeah i've i've but now everything i want is like 
because of money. Everything I want creatively is like, oh, I'd love to sell a show. And it's like, yeah, not because yeah, yeah. I have a story I need to tell, no, but because I, I, ne- I want showrunner money or creator money. Like, you know? And it's like, I, I, I'm speaking about myself here, I feel broken by it. And you see it even, the metrics, people are like, oh, dude got his bag. Oh, so-and-so made bank on this. What? Brian Baumgartner makes $10 million a year doing Cameo? That's awesome. And I'm like, but did he get into acting to do, like, I mean. It's it, weird because I'm 51 years old. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a phrase that doesn't even make sense anymore, which was selling out. Right? And it's, yes. it's you, can't even, you can't explain that to a young person because it doesn't even make sense. But the idea was no one or no, no market force was going to change what you did and who you were right? That you were doing it for pure reasons. And it was a very vague kind of idea, but it was very clear to everyone what it meant. Yeah, And, you know, it's starting with probably the who sell out is the first time that I probably ran into that phrase. And, and that has no, that's, that's a ridiculous idea now. And I'm not even saying it was a, a great idea, but the, what really bothers me more is that every time I write an article for a, for a company, like for a real corporation, the demands on me to market it, they're like, well, you have to hit this. The, the editor, everyone's say, can you please tweet this out? Can you please put this on Instagram? Can you um, do whatever, do a thing on it? And it's it's like, you know what? Like, I made a decision when I graduated college not to go into sales and marketing because I would have made more money. Right. I, I'm doing this instead, and you guys need to do that. Joel, I'm not good at it. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. It's not it makes me what look you bad. hired me to do. Yeah, and yeah. it's not it's not what I get paid to do. It's not why. It's not I. I'm so this is uncomfortably relatable right now as we sold the show to uh, we shot a show it aired on True TV 101 oh, places wow. to party before you die and it was a That's fun That's a lot of ass- places by the way. Yeah, well we only got to 8 so far so we'll see if we get uh, <laughs> 11 more seasons. But it was one of the best experiences of my life. I am a host, I am a travel aficionado, I am a foodie, I am a drinker. All these things I am, so me hosting that show made total sense. Sounds great. After, once it was in the can, I'm now, I was also an executive producer, so I'm giving notes, I'm doing feedback. That's also in my skill set. Once that's all done, I then have to go on like a hundred podcasts and promote it. And that is, again, in my skill set. But then I'm being asked yes, to be like... Yes. I'm, now I'm tweeting. I'm Instagramming. It's like, hey, can you do twelve radio interviews about? And and I understand it's like a, a requirement, but of all the shit that I was having to do was all stuff like I was doing myself. To, like it felt so dirty. It felt like, wait, you're laying off like seven thousand people at Warner Brothers, and then turning to the host of the TV show and being like, hey, can you make? Can you help us get a second season here? It's like, no, that's I needed you guys for this. You have the machinery. And it, it and you saying that about and it's gotta be true about every facet of the industry now. Yeah. And I remember I called when Substack was giving out money before when Substack was around or important. I called the guy who was giving out money and I was like, you know, can you give me some money? And he said, um, what's your email subscriber list like? I'm like, I don't have an email subscriber list. He's like, but everyone who's ever emailed you, where's their, where's their info? I'm like, I don't know. And like Google trash. I don't know where it is. <laughs> and he, and he's like, well, you're going to need to build up a subscriber list. And I was like, I'm, this is, you're telling me marketing chips. Like I, I'm not interested. Right. That's how I feel. And like, I feel like that with this 
podcast. Like I'm I'm stoked to do it. I love chatting with people. I don't hate reading ads. Like it that that is part of it that I yep. I enjoy. I understand it's a means to the end. But then when it's like every week I have to tweet about it. Every week I have to like I I don't have to per se. But I feel the need to because I feel like I had a, I wanted to tweet today. Oh, R.I.P. Twitter. I I've been on you for eleven years. It increased my podcast listenership one percent and increased my depression like two thousand percent. And it's like what, what I made this deal with the devil where I'm like, yeah. And why do I have to promote shit? Like yeah, I don't it, actually like like, but I because I care about financial gain, and that's like where that's where I get upset because I'm mad at myself for quote unquote selling out. You know? Yeah, but I mind it more when there's an actual marketing department. Yes, push, that's Pushkin, <laughs> which I hope is not listening to this. I'm sure they stopped if they ever started, um, just because uh, I don't think they care about me. But the Pushkin marketing department, you know, they they're on me every week. Like new episodes out, you have to tweet, you have to Instagram, you have to like, and I'm like, I don't know. Like this is, all, and they're asking the guests to do it. I'm like, the guest was nice enough to come on my podcast and and give me their story for free. I like, oh, dude. I when people ask them? when I guest on other people's podcasts, and they're like, we just need you. Can you post this? Can we send you some stuff? I'm like, this is so kind, but this is not what I want to do for myself, and I yeah. certainly don't want to do it for you. Yeah. Like, and you didn't even pay me. You got free content from me. You got an yeah. hour of conversation with me, and I'm not saying that's worth a lot of money, but it it was worth it was, an hour of my time yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you did your part like you shouldn't yeah, promote I, 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 let me, yeah let me fucking walk away here uh jumping back to the sellout thing and i've said this on this podcast before but my the last time i remember hearing about selling out being bad was right mid aughts the apple the apple and uh pc uh commercials with justin long and john oh, hodgman yeah after that, MSN did a series of ads with Dimitri Martin that were kind okay. of like Dimitri was the spokesperson for two years. And everyone in the comedy world heard that Zach Galifianakis turned down the MSN commercial job that was, you know, millions of dollars or whatever over years. And that was the last time I had heard of someone turning down a financial, th you know what I mean? Like, and he was being like lauded for it. It's like, of course, cause Zach is cool. Zach Galifianakis has, he has integrity. And I've then interviewed since him a then, couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I, you've never heard anyone who, who has done something like that. I think you actually like named the last person who cares about selling out. And he cares a lot. Like he, he gives a lot of thought to what he does and if it will hurt, his authenticity maybe that's a lame 2000 21st century word but it'll, it'll hurt his his truth you know right. if, if doing this thing is so far out of who he is and what he cares about if it would if it'd be lame yeah yeah he's the last person that's why he moved to a farm in north carolina or wherever he is he's like screw this or that's yeah. what's so intriguing about that because like now that guy's fascinating uh, yeah genius so fucking funny too and obviously uh, now the opposite is rewarded in a weird way. It's like no one gives a fuck about Captain America or Black Adam. Everyone cares about Chris Evans and Dwayne Johnson. Do you know what I mean? Like it used to be back in the day, like Robert Redford would be like, please don't call me handsome. I'm an actor and I want to get lost in the roles. Now, like all oh, our I actors see. are like they're on they're tweeting personal stuff. They're Instagramming them. Like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, because I interviewed uh, when I was young. I interviewed Leonardo DiCaprio. I spent a couple of days with him when he was on the beach and 
he was very reluctant to tell me anything. It was super frustrating. And he told me why. And he's like, everything I tell you about myself is one fewer thing I can use in the movie. Every time someone sees something real about me, I can't use that anymore. And I was like, that's really smart. That's powerful because um, right now it feels like yeah, and and it feels like The Rock is more important to the movie. The fact that he's in it is more important than the story, the IP, the the direction, the acting, the lighting. It's like right. he's uh, our actors have become bigger than the, like George Clooney as a tequila company. Like, could you imagine like yeah. you know like someone from our you like actors we love like growing up Kurt Kurt Russell is like promoting fucking like red. I mean, I now he knows he owns vineyards well, and shit, but like. I've like interviewed Clooney a couple times. I made him dinner at my house, but he used to do secret Nescafe commercials in Europe. Yes. Right? Well, he, that was the big thing. Or like, Japan. He, yeah. Yeah. The Santori time. Like, it's done yeah. and lost in translation. Brad yeah, Pitt yeah. famously. Like, doesn't we, even make sense anymore. Like, how do you should, explain those scenes to anyone anymore? No. And people used how to do old, old do we overseas. Sound? Yeah. We sound super old, but this, this is what I want to be talking about. Okay. People used to have to go overseas to do commercials yeah. because they wanted money, but it was disrespectful. That, and, I feel strongly about this because it hurt your brain. John Hamm yeah. doing fucking H&R Block commercials. Love John Hamm. Talented yep. guy. Yep. Rather funny. Very handsome. All that. Yep. But H&R Block commercials are honestly for me and people who are less successful than me. I'm arguably not even – the com commercial act used to be for – actors who were coming up and no one else right. would do commercials and yeah. it would be like yes well this struggling 28 year old kid will be in the commercial yeah it's but how now you made it's, your rent for the year yeah. yeah and then it the same thing was that for guest stars and co-stars like yeah. big big act well, first of all it was the it was that for tv in general actors were like of our actors of our youth were like i don't do tv like jack right, nicholson right, right. never yeah. did tv and like that was too that was too small for them so they would never do that now it feels like there's no there's nowhere to go for like a small person in hollywood like as an actor like oh, right. commercials because money is so dire and money is so required for survival in modern society and also sought after in a way of like it's a metric for success. The movie opened to this much. The He's got this money points on the back end. Oh, the marketing campaign behind blank was so crazy. You know, like all that shit is out there. And now fucking Dwayne The Rock Johnson sells energy drinks and tequila as much as he acts in movies. And as like, and it feels, it feels like we broke it somewhere. I know. Where it's like, I know. I should be promoting energy drinks. I should be a little embarrassed, but I'm not that big of a deal yet, so well, I need to get my bag. You are, you know? You're America's number one fuckboy. So I would You know what? Fair enough. Thank that. you, Joel. I need that yeah. reminder every once yeah. in a while. So I mean <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't throw that out with the bathwater. And then enough. once I once I had kids, I started thinking like we give a lot of lip service to kindness. Like, but nobody ever goes on a date with someone and is like, Oh, he was awesome or she she was great. She was so kind. Oh man, yeah. it's always like their job, i.e., how much money they're making, or their looks. Like that's it, and you know that everyone knows that's all people value, and so we're yeah. all dicks. Yeah, there's. When, but when did when did that happen? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we don't have to pinpoint it, but it just feels like there was an absolute flip to commerce being more important than art, and where art was starting to be measured by commerce. And then I kind of feel like that trickled down into like the masses that are like, 
fuck tar it, it didn't make nearly as much money as doctor strange too so it's yeah, not as good new. of a movie yeah <laughs> I, re- I remember writing about that when the hollywood stock exchange started which was this um this, uh it was like fantasy football for movies oh and, hell yeah i remember this but before hollywood stock exchange and before ew entertainment weekly started listing the box office for the week nobody knew the box office it's like yeah. books now like i can write a book neither of my books sold well at all but i papered uh television and npr and podcasts so i was everywhere so everyone thinks my book sold really well but they right. didn't but but because there's no chart there's the new york times bestseller list but nobody really looks at that or remembers and that also that, unless you're in books that- that feels broken too, because you know, like how that can be gamed, and like how so it's gamed. always like it hasn't even come out yet, and it's the bestseller because. Oh you my know, god, I have friends yeah. who are like, "Yeah, I'm going to speak at your conference, but don't pay me; just buy this many books." And then, because you don't need that many books to get on the list, you need right. like five. You need like five thousand books, and you can get on the list. And then being on the list is how you can it helps you sell more books. Like it's such a sometimes, but so, but the whole book industry is really weird because a lot of people write books to increase their either TV presence on whatever shows or like news shows or their speaking fees. So basically you go out and you're like, oh, they have a book and it was a New York Times bestseller. And right. that increased- and So now the- you're now they can charge an extra. I know that from the comedy world of like, now I can charge higher. I can have a higher day rate at uh, yeah. gigs because I had a TV show or I had a book. Exactly. Brain health, like our physical health, is a daily, challenging, and lifelong commitment. You don't just work out once and expect to be physically fit. When it comes to your brain, making those daily lifestyle choices can help your overall brain and cognitive health. Taking that first step towards better cognition and improved brain health is easy with First Person. You've heard of these guys. I've advertised them before on the podcast. The company was started by brothers Chris and Joe after witnessing the deteriorating effects of Alzheimer's on their father and grandfather. So they research in cognitive health and wellness, working with doctors and industry-leading scientists. And First Person is the targeted brain supplement system, which uses the brain-boosting power of mushrooms to activate the full potential of human cognition and brain health. Ooh. And it's 100% grain-free organic mushrooms, as well as highly curated blend of nutraceuticals sourced from the best in-class vendors. I like the Sunbeam, personally. Anything that uh, should help with uh, productivity and creativity, I can use. Now, I, I can't notice a difference just because I have so many variables in my life, but I certainly, uh, or at least getting some sort of placebo effect from it, but I do feel like, all right, wake up, have my coffee, take my Sunbeam uh, supplements, and get to work. And now, you know, uh, I'm here. I'm working. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm going to pop two Sunbeams after this and get to work. Start improving your brain health and cognition with First Person. Get 15% off your first order by going to getfirstperson.com and use code MIGHTY. That's G-E-T-F-I-R-S-T-P-E-R-S-O-N.com. Code MIGHTY, M-I-G-H-T-Y, for 15% off your first order. Getfirstperson.com. Code MIGHTY. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, Fresh. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the ads. We love HelloFresh over here. You can subscribe to HelloFresh and check save money off your fall to-do list. HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout and less expensive than grocery shopping, too. Um, And I'm assuming the holidays are coming up. The 
uh, everyone's got a packed calendar with HelloFresh's quick and easy meals like their 20 minute recipes or low prep, easy cleanup options means you'll spend less time in the even less time in the kitchen, I should say, and even more time with your loved ones. And for some people, that's something they want to do. Me, on the other hand, I like to make my HelloFresh quickly and then eat it in the kitchen without having to engage with my family. And they also offer vegan recipes now uh, made with without uh, any animal products of any kind. No dairy, meat, eggs, or honey. Uh, the sweet chili tofu bowls or spicy coconut curry stir fry. I really like the latter. I haven't had the sweet chili tofu bowls yet, but I'm trying to. Spicy coconut curry stir fry is right in my wheelhouse. And you know what? Say what you will. I'm enjoying eating uh, some plant-based meals and eliminating uh, meat from a... Uh, Every, you know, a several of my meals a week, not all of them, please come on. So, and changing seasons means changing tastes. And with 30 plus weekly recipes to choose from, HelloFresh has something for everybody. Swap proteins or sides, choice, upgrade to choice proteins or add protein to a veggie meal. Ooh, I want to go back and get the spicy coconut curry stir fry and add like shrimp or chicken. Oh, heck yeah. Well, HelloFresh, time to save time and make some home-cooked meals. So go to HelloFresh.com slash high65 and use code high65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash high65 and use code high, H-I-G-H, 65 for 65% off plus free shipping. It's highly encouraged to voice the following HelloFresh tagline. Ooh, indeed it is. America's number one meal kit. Trying to bring selling out back to stories in some way. There seems to be, like, we're talking about writing books. I feel like people are writing books now for, to be IP. Well, that's the thing. Like, these people were getting on the the story of the week podcast are people who spent six months reporting the crap out of some obscure story that they are never going to make that much money on unless it gets sold as a movie that they, they, you know, wrote up for the New Yorker or the Atlantic or wired. Um, They're amazing. Like the one that comes out next Thursday is about, it was in Los Angeles magazine. Sure. She made after she paid for all her travel, like $300 on it. And it's really long. And it's about, this weird polygamist, racist Mormon sect that's also sort of mobby and they bilk the government for lots of money. And then this guy in the sect gets this uh, chemical engineering PhD from the University of Utah and learns to make, starts a company that makes biofuel. That's like taking, um, you know, kitchen grease and turning it into fuel for cars. But he finds out the sect is really good at bilking the government, like welfare scams, all that stuff. And they find out there's this new green energy law that apparently everyone is scamming the government with, and they get a dollar per gallon of biofuel they make. So he figures out how to like clean kitchen grease, move the clean kitchen grease around the country and pretend and that keep getting dollars it for it everywhere. Oh. Yeah. And then they have like, you know, it's this, polygamous sect where people have like seven wives and a hundred children. So they have all these little kids filling out the forms and saying the government, but then he wants to go big with it. It's, it's so Walter Wright. He wants to go big with it. So he hooks up with this guy called the lion who runs the Armenian mob in Glendale in Los Angeles. And they take, they take it big and they get 500 something million dollars out of the U S government. And they can't, they can't, you know, spend this money. They can't hide this money fast enough. So they hook up with, President Erdogan in Turkey, 
and they buy an airline, an actual airline, they buy hotels, and um, eventually, and they've paid off this these FBI informants, these dirty, dirty Glendale cops and a couple dirty FBI guys who are supposed to be like working home. It's one guy in Homeland Security, or he's an FBI guy working with Homeland Security, who winds up letting in all these like, these gangsters from other countries in to help. I'm like, that doesn't seem to be the job, but he's getting paid <laughs> off. And then it all comes crashing down. And this woman spent so much time reporting this out. Um, that oh, these are awesome. like, these people are not out. That's the fun thing that uh, th- these journalists that I have on, like are just doing it because they love story. Well, it's, that's what appealed to me about your podcast as well was like on. And again, this is old man. And you know, like, someone who dedicated a big chunk of their life to one thing, getting yeah. another, getting another round of flowers for it. I like that too. Like, yeah, but and- the, the the weird part is I'm the sellout, right? Like I'm getting paid to do a podcast where I don't do crap. Like I just talk to people about their stories. And I don't, and actually, honestly, like I'm really having fun because I get to read a lot, get to talk to smart people. But honestly, that part doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel like writing something. It's, right. It doesn't feel, you don't feel the same amount of, uh, yeah. Interesting. Well, for me, cause again, I I don't mean to keep comparing us, but this is kind of similar to high and mighty was built from me being like, I like having conversations with intelligent friends about topics that we both give a shit about or something I don't know about. And they do know about. So that kind of came from this in like a sort of, I, I guess what I'm saying is I like the self-servingness of your podcast. And I know that's not where it was born from, but the idea that you get to like, I would love to sit down with like the author of the last 52 fucking great long form articles I read and talk yeah. to them for an hour about the article. I, like, I do that's love like, it. It is yeah. fun. Yeah. It's just not it's, rewarding in the same way. It's not, um, it's just, it's totally fun. makes me totally happy. I think it's useful. I'm just saying on the fulfillment scale, it's right. not like, well, it's got a little, something. what's the expression, like a hedonic treadmill to it too. It's got a little bit of like, yep. when you finish yep. a book, you're like, yep. ah, I completed a piece of art. Yep. When you're doing, you know, this will be episode 393 of mm-hmm. High and Mighty or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know when it ends and should it end and why would I want it to end? I enjoy it. Like, yeah. I, I'm in like all, I'm in all these like weird crisis of identity. I don't know. I'm comfortable with that. I remember because I've, maybe because I've always written for like what I, Whenever I struggled writing, whether it was at Time Out New York or then at Time uh, or at the LA Times where I had a column, someone would always say to me, or someone, it was my friend Mark Einsley, would say to me, disposable <laughs> weekly magazine. Like, don't get hung up. Like, this is, this is right. not. And then I remember someone was interviewing me once and they were young and they were talking about like being remembered after you die and what works are going to be. And I was like, whoa, dude, I don't think you realize how few people are remembered for their works. Like, uh, how many presidents can you name? Those people ran the country. Like, right. You can't those name people most are on them. Yeah. Those people were in the zeitgeist for four years, <laughs> like yeah. oh, four to eight. And yeah. You know, yeah. And, and most people don't know who, you know, James Polk was or whatever, you know, James Buchanan. We could, most of these guys. Uh, right. Are forgettable. They have, they have, you don't know why your high school is named Garfield High School. Like you think it's a cat, and then <laughs> yeah. they think like other than Shakespeare, like how many writers, you know, can most people name from the past? Right. Well, yeah. and that's that's a brutal thing to put in your own headspace too. Of like, it's what? kind of freeing though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't find oh. it brutal at all. Oh, I, okay. I like. I think that that's angle. just a stupid thing 
to aim for. I mean, even on a personal level, to think that like you would remember your great grandfather or something like it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember family members that have passed. No less like no. Yeah, you know, like there are like people who work, who've written or acted or directed movies that have passed that, or like people that I'm like, oh, like. I think I'll always know who Anthony Bourdain is, but like for no. 50 years from now, will everybody know who Bourdain is? No. Ask ask younger people about like, this will be more true as you get older, but ask younger people about super famous actors from when you were like, you know, a teenager. They'll right. have no idea who they are. Right. Like a- ask young people who Robert Redford is. No chance. Oh fuck yeah, that's crazy! And he was like seen? one of the big yes, exactly. And he was like one of. Did they and see honestly, all the president's men? Did they see the Sting? Otherwise, no chance. No, they might know him from the Captain America, uh, like the first, like oh, like I forgot. And uh, okay. but but you would have to go. Yeah. He's the guy with the small. Oh yeah, that guy who plays. It's like no, but he's enormous. <laughs> he's he started yeah. Sundance. Have you heard of? No, you haven't heard of Sundance either. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> That that just the your friend who said disposable weekly because like you're talking to someone who did 15 years of staged improv, yeah. Like so you want to talk knew. about disposable? Yeah. Like yeah. that is just like for the people in the room in that moment only. Like there's every, no everything is right. Yeah, yeah. and that, and that, yeah, I guess that's what you learn is that everything is like Wakanda Forever is about to have uh, we're co- this we're recording this on November 10th. Wakanda Forever is about to have an insane weekend. It's going to be fuck people are going to go see Black Panther 2 and they're going to love it. It's going to be all over pop culture. It's going to be huge. And then in 50 years like I mean I don't know Marvel's a weird thing cuz like we might all be living in like <laughs> Avengers Tower in like 2075 we all have to know who where Wakanda is and shit like that. But I just feel like all these things that are like it does there's sort of been a splintering of the industry in a, of all like the financial success right, stuff yeah. that we're talking about. Nothing. There's big. so few, yeah. like there's nothing big anymore. There's nothing that no. you could do that could like, w- like there used to be like windfalls and, and meaning more yeah. than just money, but like I did Johnny Carson. Now I'm touring well, the country yeah. and printing money and I get asked to do this. I'm getting asked to do that. Like now I, I was in a sitcom for five years. Now I have all this money saved up and all these spinoffs. And it's like not even just money though, because like I used to write a weekly column on the back page of time magazine and it had, it had legitimate cultural impact. I'm not saying like that many people read it, but right. it, that's Time Magazine. Yeah. But, I, but I felt yeah. I would write something. It didn't make a difference in changing anyone's opinion or anything, but it had like an impact. Right. I, I find it, it's very, very, very hard to have an impact anymore. And certainly on a regular basis to have an impact because it's everything's so diffuse. And I heard Jason Siegel talking about this when he was making some small indie movie. And he's like, it's so freeing because it used to be you'd make something and then you'd, just panic about how many tickets you'd sell over the weekend and how big it was and how big it compared to everyone else and what that was going to mean for your career. And he's like, I can make something now. I know hopefully the people who are going to like it are going to find it, but I'm not being compared. There's not the same like right. dick measuring every weekend. Yeah. Um, and he, he said it was really freeing and he got to make what he wants. That seems so appealing. But he got to make what he wants because he had like eight seasons of How I Met Your Mother. No, 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 too. financially yeah, yeah. for sure. But he also yeah. gets to make what he wants because there was only one 
path before. You had to make movies or network television shows. Right. And if, yeah. it, if it wasn't big, it was gone. Right. Right. And now you, there's it, the path to be like, you yeah. can have a small Twitch stream that can, you know. Uh, yeah. Because no one besides Marvel 5, is going to be big. Right. The odds. Right. Of you, no one's expecting you to be big. People just want you to reach your people. Yeah. Well, there's something like the the impact thing, like nothing has a huge impact anymore, it feels like. But you do get to hear because of the nature of the Internet and social media and stuff. You do get to actually hear and and witness and f- receive feedback about small impacts. I like, hate that. You hate that. Hate yeah, it. I get because it can you can get caught up in it pretty easily, like positively and negatively. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, four people tweeted, like, this was a really good episode. And now you're, like, in your head of, like, we're, I'm, I'm on a fucking streak here. And four people is not enough to, like, build a career off of. Three people say, you're a fat piece of shit. And then you, it undoes you for fucking six weeks. And that's not enough. Like, three people, like, it. We, we know so much more. We can hear so much more. So we we witness our impact on, like, a micro level, but not on a macro level anymore. Like, there's just no, like everyone's tuning in to like as tv is still like house of dragons or um and or it's still like one big show per platform is like all people have like the bandwidth to deal with anymore is that right or there like some people watching the bear and there's some people watching like some show where they try and see if things float uh, yeah, what, it's I, cake. Is it cake? That's what it is. I, I did that. I was on. Is it cake? Were you on the cake show? <laughs> I was on the cake show. Yes. Wait, 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 wait. Was it cake or was it not cake? Well, uh, for me, I tasted multiples, and uh, they were all cakes. I was correct frequently on the show. I was wait, a is, judge, maybe. I the show was so complicated. Did you go I, to the show stoned? Yes, I believe okay. I did. Did they tell you to, or you just made no. that decision yourself? <laughs> I just made I would that... think they would tell you to. I needed it for my own, like, again, like, I'm selling out when I go to be a judge on Is It Cake? Not Are in you? a real way. I would go in a second just but, for the well, experience. Well, see, okay, now, now we're stumbling upon something that I truly believe in the experience. I, oh, for am, sure. I'm never going to be majorly financially successful in this industry. I, I, I'm 40. Or now. honestly, any industry besides fuckboying. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. That's where the money is. <laughs> yeah. Truly, I will uh, if I have to. Um, don't let's not get into that. But uh like oh see, I, I just lost my train of thoughts. Because you were stoned for this too. Yeah, I was, of course, high and mighty dog. Yeah. Oh, and experiences is what I can collect yes. because of my career. And so for me. It's not selling. I don't feel it as selling out as like, I was curious what it would be like to do that. You know, like, I, I don't think that's selling out one bit. That's like Will Ferrell wanting to, to like make do a, a Spanish movie. movie or yeah, do a Spanish yeah. movie. It's like yeah. he's doing that for the experience. He's not, I think it's the opposite. Like, going on Is It Cake, you have to do It's more like um, going somewhere that's super lame and boring just, just for like the attention or money. Right, right. And exactly. And I wasn't doing Is It Cake for the money because it wasn't a lot, but totally. Uh, or the <laughs> but attention. You were doing it because, like, it's insane. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds. I'll meet Rebecca Black, the singer of Friday. I'm in. You know, like she was on my episode. That was a, that was thrilling for a forty year old. <laughs> oh man, I can't. Is it always cake? Is that the punchline of the show? No. Uh, okay. It's sometimes it's not cake. <laughs> it's so complicated. What it's is so, it when it's not cake? Is it styrofoam? It is like a stack of plastic cups. Like because it's like. 
oh, we had to make a stack of solo ah. cups that look like a cake. And then like. Oh, I should have pitched this show 20 years ago. I was at a wedding and my friend was marrying someone and she had made a cake and it was beautiful. And they brought it out and they were wheeling it away. And this other woman at my table was like, fuck that. Hold on. And she and she got over to the cake as they were wheeling it out. And she like put her finger in the frosting and she's like, I thought so. And then they came out and served some other cake because that cake was styrofoam. That was just for show. That was just a just pretty cake. For, and she pretended she made this cake. And this woman was so mad at my table um, <laughs> about, about this deceit deceit that was played upon the entire wedding uh building so, a, building this marriage on a foundation of deceit yes, will do no oh, one oh any good yeah that was definitely said by this woman at this table and i should <laughs> i should have then pitched this damn it fuck man that's uh that's i'm happy like i'll be doing stuff for experiences like it feels like yeah that's that's where i find my happiness is sort of like well the thing I am afforded because of my job, like yes. if I was super wealthy from whatever, oh. I would spend my money collecting experiences. We have this thing. So if I can like do experiences for, for my, sure. For, yeah. I, I was paid $30,000 a year to work at timeout New York. And we used to call it virtual rich because we were going to movie premieres. We were going to restaurant openings and my friends on wall street were not doing nearly as cool stuff as me, even though they were making- Yeah, they and making 4X your money. 4X, yeah. which they were spending on a nicer apartment, which I was just going to to sleep anyway. So I felt right. vastly superior. And then I remember sitting in my first writer's room and I loved writing and that's why I got into this, which is the worst reason to become a journalist. I just wanted to write. <laughs> it's not, the, all the people on my podcast do it for totally different reasons because they want the truth and they love finding things out. But I just wanted to write. So I was finally in a writer's TV writer's room, which was my childhood dream since I read TV Guide every day, you know, over and over <laughs> again as a kid. And so I'm sitting there and it suddenly strikes me. I have this little epiphany. I was like, oh, all the great experiences I had in my life were from reporting. Like every cool thing I ever did and still do. It's like I I, I staged at a restaurant in Denver a couple of weeks ago with Ludo Lefebvre. And oh, like, awesome. Right? I just want to see like, can I, do I have it? Can I do it? Like, you know, it's like, and it was my, like under the guise of like, oh yeah, this would be a cool article or this would be a cool thing to write about. Yeah. I did it for you like town to and country. Do, yeah. Yeah. You get to do something cool. Yeah. It was my fantasy. Like what do those uh, middle-aged guys do with the Mets? It's like a uh, fantasy baseball camp. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was, yeah. It's, it was awesome. Dude, that's so real. Uh, a, a solid example of that from my life is I, went to go see uh, the Gentleman of the Road tour, which was Mumford and Sons and uh, I forget the name of the other band, but they sing my, uh, they sang my wedding songs. Oh no, you are Yeah, It's the song is like Alexander. Yeah, it's, it's like a person's is it, name is or it, whatever. Is it Lin-Manuel Miranda? No, it's not. <laughs> it's Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. Yes. Uh, I, it'll come to me later, unfortunately, well after this podcast is done. Uh, listen, whoever's listening is flipping out right now. But these two big bands that my wife really loved, I got asked to do improv at their after show. Oh, uh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. My wife oh, is texting great. me. Yeah, she yeah. can overhear me. <laughs> she just texted me. Good that. for her. That's a, that's a relationship. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> she wrote, this is killing me hearing this. It's like, no shit. It's <laughs> killing listeners too. Um, so, so 
we're going to do improv at their after, at this festival at the after show. So that means we're free the whole time. I'm there with my friend Neil Casey, comedian, also UCB touring guy. We're getting paid $150 each per show for the weekend. So we're getting like 300 bucks for the weekend, sleeping at like a, des- a deserted motel in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And we're, st- we're just standing on the side of the stage while Alabama shakes, Heim, all these bands perform and do And then we're allowed, we go backstage at this festival and there's like the artist tent with like bars and food and we're just hanging out there. And my friend Neil says to me, and it is burned in my hand and I'll never forget. He goes, this is what we get to do because we're slightly funnier than other people. A hundred percent. And it was like, holy shit. Yes. This is like, we're ma- if you t- I told my mom I made $300 for the weekend, she'd be like, really? What? I know. What? I know. You know like, and then it's like, wait, no, but I, I talk about watching one of the Heim sisters faint from drumming so hard in the heat. Oh. So much in life. That's that was such good. an enormous part of my life. Like, that's a story I tell so many people. And I gathered that story. Titular. Uh, cat ep- name of episode. I gathered that story by chasing experiences with using my career. And it's like, that's more important to me. If I if I made ten thousand dollars a show, that money would be gone by now. But yeah. I made one hundred fifty dollars a show, and all that matters is I stood on the side of the stage while fucking Alabama Shakes rocked. Like, but that's, that's why we did cool. this. If we were yes, if, if we would have made different career decisions if we were motivated by money, right? Famously, the same guy Neil Casey said, "If we were doing this for the money, there's a ton of other shit we could have been doing." But I knew that when I graduated <laughs> college, like it wasn't uh, you know. I, I saw other people go interview at like investment banks and consulting companies. And I didn't have the skill set to do that anyway, but I also knew that that wasn't interesting to me. And I, and I wasn't upset that they were going to make more money than me. Like right. just everyone has different interests and that having like a nice car is just not my interest. But I, yeah, I, a couple months ago, I got, I actually got paid a lot of money to go interview uh, Steve Martin in North Carolina. Oh, right. Amazing. And my son said, how how much would they have how much would you have done it for you know because they gave me a lot and i was like oh well i don't know if i would have paid for my own flight but other than that zero i don't need money to go interview steve like that of course i don't need money to go interview steve martin like right if given the opportunity yeah. i i'd fly to, i'd pay out of pocket to fly to steve martin's no, house you're right. to set it's up a, a microphone to have him on my podcast you know for sure I mean? it's like, ma- it's make a wish territory right like yeah it's, it, and so, yeah, so those kind of experiences just feel crazy. Well, that's the best version of it. Like, that's how I feel about having that travel show. Uh, like, I got yeah, to go to eight both. different cities, yeah. and I got some money, but I also got to go to eight different amazing For restaurants, free. eight yeah. different, yeah. And I, and like, what, what was the best city and restaurant? Or one ooh, of the best? Magna Cusima in Portland, Oregon was this Filipino restaurant we went to that was, I, I had never really had Filipino food, and I was, you live in LA. I know, I know. I've had it, but I've never like went to a like I never and like, you know, I have to talk about it because I'm on camera and stuff. So it like increased my experience. Chicken hearts on skewers and shit. Shit was so fucking good. I was blown away. But I I got to eat a lot of great food and we always did like one fancy ish uh, Mm -hmm. restaurant per episode. But some of the best food I had was like in Acapuria, which is like uh, a puerto rican sort of empanada adjacent uh pastry uh filled with beef or chicken liver and stuff like that i had one of those in san juan i was like 
this is one of the best bites of food I've ever had. And it's like I'm drinking out of a plastic cup and holding a napkin around a, a something called an acapuria. Never even heard of until I was there shooting that. <laughs> and it was, Do they still have like cockfighting arenas in San Juan? Not, not that I – we were not privy to that. Maybe. Okay. I feel like uh, the city is fucking awesome. Like I, I, I've only ever been there as like an East Coast family beach vacation. Oh, no, like no, yeah. I, I never went as like a, I'm gonna go into town in the city with yeah, a friend. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you're you know, just I'm, at some resort on the beach there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This was the first time with because of the show. Yeah, yeah I'm seek, I'm seeking out other shit that I would not have normally. Yeah, like going to a rum distillery and stuff like that it was so fucking cool. Uh, that's what you need to do to keep that show going. By the way, not to you need to sell out. And and the other place besides pharmaceutical companies that just toss around money is liquor companies. Dude, if you haven't this is my version of selling out, by the way, is that I'm I fear is like doing light influencer stuff. Like I have enough of a following and I do now and I'm comfortable with this tweet or Instagram and tag some of my favorite cannabis companies when I'm oh. using their product. And and sometimes it gets me free product. There you go. That's worth it for me. But there's, I recently was reached out to for an opportunity to make a few grand with just a couple of posts, and I turned it down because oh, it let's, just let's felt, delve into that. Why did yeah, you turn it down? And I don't know why because I what? really don't even hold any esteem to my social media. I and know. I, and I want it. I should just be mon. I hate it. I hate that I'm on. Okay. It. Okay. Okay. Wait. 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 Was it a company? like Robin Hood or something you just don't believe in you think is bad? No, it was uh I'll say it, it was Boston Market. Uh which oh, is what's I, wrong with I, Boston I like Market? exactly. I like it. But it's By just... the way, Boston Market's still around. I used to hit that 23rd Street with my wife. On the 23rd Street is dude, you see you Yes, UCB classes were on 23rd Street. So yeah, that's yeah. how I know about fucking yeah, and the, Boston that was, Market. I was, my place is on 23rd and 10th in London Terrace, but the um, there was a Krispy <laughs> yeah. Kreme next door, which you I would only deign to enter if they were coming the hot light off was the conveyor on? belt. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The hot light was on. <laughs> then you go. But that was, I enjoyed the Boston market. I would totally, I don't know if I can do it as a journalist, but yeah, I think I can nowadays. I would totally tweet Boston market for money. I think you're wrong. I, I see. I think I might be wrong too, especially if like what means to an end i've done worse things for less money you know what i mean like yeah. and i think i think the thing that made it feel like selling out is that i don't like getting my photo taken i don't like posting so like yeah. by doing it i would be actively choosing to do stuff i dislike for some money which i think i i think i have to just figure out what my a long time ago, I worked this guy I worked with, Kevin Marr. Shout him out. I shout him out so much. He was like such an inspiration early in my career. I was a PA when he was a Were writer. Were you talking about the Kevin Marr? You, you know Kevin Marr, I'm assuming, right? No, but I'd like to build him up. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, he's a legend, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but he was around VH1 MTV in the early aughts and mid aughts. So I thought maybe. But he always had like this freelancers quadrant thing that like would help. He like said, these are the metrics to help you determine if you should take a job. It's like, Good money, uh, good collaborators, uh, passionate about the thing, and I forget like what the fourth thing is. And it's like if two of those hit, like you know, you you have to like figure yeah. out like, oh, yeah. this is actually good money, and I would like to work with this magazine, so I'm taking it. Oh, this is not good money, but my editor will be this person I always wanted to work with, and I'll yeah. get to be in this magazine I always want to be in, or whatever. So like, 
that I need to come up with that for myself now, I think. Cause as But I, you know, you know what it is. It's it's disheartening to make something you think sucks. Yes. Like that's always hard. It's disheartening to work with people who aren't nice or fun. Right. Yeah, or her, or mistreat you in like or who like dis- yeah. quote, unquote, it's disheartening disrespect you. to like it can be disheartening to feel like you're not being paid fairly. Yes. Like yes. even if you're not being paid, if no one's making money, that seems okay to me. But if if you know that you're being underpaid and everyone else is making money, that's upsetting. That yeah, that is classically upsetting. That sucks. Yeah. And you can feel that sometimes too, where you're like, Yeah, oh, I should have asked for more. Or like you're so excited to be there that you like under you're you're being underpaid and then you like it doesn't become it loses its luster a little bit and you're like this sucks that i can't believe like i took a job to go like help write and make some presentation for google or something like that so i took some like random job outside my normal you won't take boston market money but you'll take google money well that was the thing it was like not that much money but i was like oh it seems super easy and kind of fun and i'll get a free trip to santa barbara out of it okay i'll take the job yeah three hours into the job i was like this is not for me they hate me i uh-huh. hate them I've i'm making there. it worse yes Fuck, fuck. Yes. And now I'm in. I have to come back to. I have to stay in Santa Barbara and come back tomorrow. And it's for no money. And then it's like one of those things where I talk to my wife about it. And she's like, well, if it sounds mm-hmm. fun, just do it. And I was like, now it's not fun and it doesn't pay. And I'm stranded in Santa Barbara. And it's like all this shit. And all of a sudden I'm fucking angry and pissed. It's like, That's what it. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. the bad instinct that someone smartly talked me out of that last part, which was like, I'm pissed at my choices. I'm pissed at the the reception I'm getting and I'm going to take it out on the audience. And I remember like the two things I heard was somebody like, I think Eddie Murphy told Chris Rock, like those two people in the audience there to hear you, they, th- th- those are the most important people to your career. Like those people care about you. Like th- right. those, you got to treat those people really well. I remember I was at a, when my first book came out and I could feel it wasn't going to be a bestseller and I was pissed and I was at a book reading. There weren't that many people there. And I, I went off, right? Like not angry, just like funny. You like know fun, I mean? like, like self-deprecating slash kind of like but it, there was yeah. anger behind it. Like I'm like, I'm not gonna read my own book. I'm gonna read this other book. Like I grabbed a book from the shelves and did a reading of that instead. Just that kind of stuff. And this woman, really smart woman, I'm still in touch with her from the audience, was like, you know, you gotta respect the people that showed up. Like, yeah, like you know, I did want to have but- like I, yeah. I know yes. you're let down that it's nine people, yeah. but I'm yeah. one of the nine people that wanted yeah. to hear you read your book, and you didn't yeah, do it. And it's respectful and professional to like to deliver to what deliver on you, what you promised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not let your own ego and your own like butt hurtness get in the way. Yeah. Oh fuck, man, it's too real. Uh, I can go on on and on about this shit for hours, but luckily yeah, you got to pee again. I got to pee. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, Tell my listeners, Joel, where they can check out uh, Story of the Week. I'm assuming wherever you get podcasts. It's weird. They make me say that at the end of the show. and It pisses me off because it's like, A, you're already listening to a podcast. You know how to get them. And B, what use is telling people wherever you get your podcasts? Oh, it makes me so mad. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like no one says like, and watch my show on HBO Max on whatever screen you have at your house. It's like, you don't don't say that. But I I like to sometimes tell people wherever, listen to my podcast, wherever fine books are sold. (laughs) Well, the thing is, as long as it's not a Patreon, you can get it anywhere. So like your podcast. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you're listening to High and Mighty on, take your phone out right now and subscribe to Story of the Week with Joel Stein. Even if you're not going to, I say listen, but if you're not going to listen, 
just subscribe and give them the fucking numbers at least, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. Is that how it works? Okay, good. Yeah, I don't, I'm not positive. I'm not positive, but it can't, okay. it's better than not having a subscriber, but hopefully Ugh. people will listen. Uh, do you have any other? I'm they sorry, wanted me want... to ask my friends and family to like write positive reviews on Woof. Apple Podcasts. Woof. It's and I was like, I can't, I can't play. It's crazy out there. It's, and yeah. then you're like, do I want to work for a company that needs my family's back? And it's like, that's like almost <laughs> the entire industry where it's like, hey, mom, can you help me out? H, can you tell some of your friends to download HBO Max and watch my show? It's Malcolm Gladwell's company. I think I was expecting them not to ask me to ask my sister to write reviews. Yeah. It's like, sorry, my sister has 10,000 hours of tweeting about my podcast. So, <laughs> um, um, Well, thank you for having me on and thank you for listening to the podcast. And oh, uh, if you haven't listened to my theme song, I believe I may have the best theme song of any podcast. Jonathan Colton wrote it. Oh, shit. I, I, yeah. I told him to do what Sherwood Schwartz would do for the Brady Bunch or Gilligan's Island. Just explain the show in the song oh. so I don't have to do the work. I love that. I always pitch the name, like the nanny theme song does that yes. too, where it's like, just t- like get you to the, get you to the uh, beginning of the episode. You totally know the context. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what really, I forget. Also in defense of elitism is one of your books, right? No, you didn't forget or you Google. Yeah. But yes, it is. No, yeah. no I'm not Googling. I'm saying I forgot to say you have things oh, other than you. a podcast. Yeah. So if, if people want to support you in any other way, in defense of elitism, uh, I like that book. I like the attitude oh, behind it. And then, thank you. Did you have another one too? Yeah, it was called uh, "Man Made: A Stupid Quest for Masculinity," about <laughs> me trying to learn how to become a man because I was having a son and didn't know how to do it. So, like, <laughs> I fought Randy Couture and I like uh, did three days of boot camp in the army and fired a tank and just man stuff. Hell yeah, classic man stuff. Uh, yeah. Joel, always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, as for me, listeners, you can check out my other podcast, Action Boys, on Patreon, actionboys.biz, or uh, watch my show, 101 Places to Party Before You Die, now on HBO Max. Thank you. Easier to find than uh, True TV? Please. I'd love to do that again. But if Aww. not, I just appreciate more people watching. The season was the victory is something I keep telling myself. <laughs> I think it's working. Bye, shitheads. That was a headgum podcast. In a part of the world where there are no rules. Holy shit. Holy shit, guys. I'm so pumped. I definitely have not watched this since I rented it on VHS in 92. Strangers united by the threat of death. We got all the fucking major players. Seagal. Vladimir Putin is a good man. Arnold. Here, come. Give it to me. I need you to cream pie me now. Stallone. People are loving this movie. (laughs) It's it's got a lot of heart. You're mentally irregular. (laughs) Now... Somewhere, somehow, someone's gonna pay. I would fucking love for my wife to, like, see me rip a guy's throat out. But they didn't count on one thing. This movie's fucking insane. (laughs) It's how you know it's a good movie. You have to do almost all the work yourself to figure it out. Well, there's a fantasy component. There's some sword fighting. There's some lightning. Bam, 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 bam. You wake up after a few years and then you don't even know who you are anymore. We're going to be making Terminators. <laughs> We're going to make a really great deal with the Xenomorphs. What? I don't hate them, but I've been in a room here. Yes, I understand. This is now the 20th ending of the movie. I am dark. I'm your dad. <laughs> Action, boys.
boys will be boys. Subscribe here for bonus content and more free stuff from behind the paywall. To get new episodes, become a patron at actionboys.biz. Do it. Do it. Come on. Do it now.